Hey team, welcome back and welcome to episode 30 of Transition Talk, where we talk about dental transitions and how to navigate the sometimes messy path to practice ownership. So merging practices is no small feat. It takes time, strategy, and a real understanding of why the heck am I doing this? We see merging offices as both a way doctors in the middle of their career can give themselves more flexibility, strategize for growth, sometimes part of a larger transition plan, and hopefully make some more money. But just like anything with potential, mergers have to be approached with caution, as there are some definite reasons why you do not want to merge your life with another. And on this episode, we're going to dive into the why, the pros, the cons, all of the merger business. But before we dive into the meat of this discussion, hello, Mr. Loretto. Miss Radcliffe. How are you? I am good. So, Excellent. you know, when I think of partners, I don't know why, but I always think of roommates. In my head, they're just somehow connected. Like marriage and roommates are the thing I think about with partners. Have you ever had like a really good or really bad roommate experience? Indeed. I love how you put all this together. I'm like, what are we talking about roommates? What's that about? And it's like, just let me get the intro going, Charles. So yeah, I have a roommate and I will tell you, this is when you know it's not going to work. So I dated the girl for a long time and it was time to decide if we are going to work or not. And we moved in together into the apartment. We were not married, so please, no haters. I put the bed together as any good new man should in a relationship, put it together. I put the sheets on. She came in the bedroom and about ripped my head off because I put the, I don't know, the white sheets on and there were some blue sheets. Are you kidding? And I'm like, just- it's sheets. It doesn't make a difference. <laughs> a week from now, we'll change them. I wanted the blue sheets on. And I knew a little thing in myself was like, Charles, this is not going to work. How long of a lease did we sign? <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> I got out of that gig. Let me just, just for the record. I have been really lucky. I've not had any bad, horrible roommate situations, but I did live with my very best friend, which was like a total risk, right? Like talk about a risk of a merger. And we waited a couple of years until we were in college. And then we decided to live together. We got an apartment that had like literally equal sides, like mirrored. So it was like, we had the same side, huge bedrooms, we'd go have our own space space. And literally the only thing that drove me crazy is she loved olives and pickles, but she never ate at home and never cooked, but she would go to the grocery store and be like, Oh, I'm going to cook. And so she'd go and she would never remember if she had pickles and olives and she'd always buy pickles and olives. And I hate olives, like nothing in the world grosser than olives. I really want to like them because I like martinis, but, <laughs> but like open the fridge and there'd be tons of olives. And I'd be like, throw away all the olives. And she'd come home, there's more olives. So I love you, Lindsay, but I hate your olives. So that's my uh, first world problem roommate story. <laughs> I moved out of mine. You've got olive problems. I don't know. <laughs> so let's dive in to mergers. First and foremost, I mean, we get calls from people all the time because I think that the idea of a merger is very alluring or they think that maybe a merger can solve whatever problem is on their plate. But When you consider a merger, I think the number one question that we always start with is like, what are you trying to achieve, right? right? What is your goal? We need to know your goal so that we can know if it is potentially going to work or we can try to troubleshoot these problems for you. So we ask why and you get the response. What are the two or three reasons why you would say, hey, this makes sense? First, I think a merger, 
I'm thinking of like two doctors that are putting their practices together and it's inside of one roof. To me, that makes sense from owning an accounting firm. It's great. You want to be profitable if you can work under one roof. So the first thing I think about is just the sheer profitability. How much more profitable are we going to be with our two practices together? And so when I think about that, just as an example, when you have two small practices, these practices, you know, maybe struggling, they're at the fifth year or something and they're at 500 or 600 collections, but for the simple math, let's use 500,000 collections. So I've got practice A doing 500, practice B doing 500, and they want to merge into one facility. Well, the problem with both A and B is their fixed costs are probably hovering around 20%. They're 25%. They're just not getting leverage because that rent is absolutely killing them. That $6,000 monthly rent on call it 2,200 square feet, it's sixty, seventy thousand dollars. Mm-hmm. So the first thing I want to see is how much I can lower my fixed costs when I layer these two practices together. And so, if that is the first thing they tell me is, "Hey, I've got this real estate or something. We're going to put the practice together, and we're going to save a ton and this and that," I start to get pretty excited. So yep. definitely number one. It's going to be on the profitability. You know, they're going to merge physically, right? Because, I mean, I think that's one thing that we can both say is that if you tell me that you're going to merge with someone, but you're physically not going to merge your locations together, right? our first question is like, why? Right. right? There's very few instances that that might make sense. In that example, let's say they're two $1 million practices and they're A and B and they want to merge. And I mean, we're just stuck on the why. We see this not all the time, but we certainly see it. And then you always get the same just like, Well, you know, I go on vacation like two weeks a year, and during this two weeks, no one's checking hygiene. I'm just paying all these employees. I just feel like I'm wasting money, and somebody could be in my practice doing dentistry, and it would just be so much more profitable. It's like, okay, well, let's look at the math on that. And you start running that math, and yeah, it's probably going to cost you four grand for that week. But here's what I see is if you're normally putting $80,000 a month on your books, Mm -hmm. you go out of town. Mm-hmm. Guess what you're end up putting? You'll end up putting eighty thousand, ninety thousand, hundred and ten thousand dollars on the following several months to catch up. Yep. Because just like when me and you go out of town, Christy, we go out of town and what's left? A lot the work. of emails. Yeah, yep. the work. You still got to do the work. And yep. dentistry is no different. The patients still need to be seen. So I get it. It's not something that I'm like excited about. We're going to merge a business because I can have somebody in checking my hygiene and maybe doing a little bit more restorative the two or three weeks on my vacation. It's not something jumping out at me like, yes, let's merge these things. Yeah. The thing that I would say, and I think this flows into the next topic, is there are times when from a flexibility and wanting someone to be there to carry the load with, I guess, would say is if you have two small practices where you both work two to three days a week and by merging, you're going to have coverage or you're going to be able to have flexibility in when you're there and when you're not. I'm a mom, so I can say this, but I always think of like two people who are maybe in the brunt of like the childcare years where they want to own their own practice, but they also want to be home and be available. And so having two people where you can maybe share the schedule, share the days, have a full-time practice where you don't have to be there full-time, that flexibility. And that may mean that you don't make a ton in additional profitability. You're not reducing your overhead maybe by a ton, but you're getting that non-financial reward of that flexibility. And that's, I think, when that makes sense. Just hearing you talk about that, I'm very excited and proud of the lecture you're working on because that is a lecture that's going to really resonate with a lot of people is that work-life balance lecture. And I know you're doing an all-women study club here, I think in New Jersey, on that topic with a bunch of orthodontists. It's fun to kind of working with you on that program and let me just be a, a sounding board to that lecture. 
But absolutely, I think I know what your your critical pieces are. There, kind of the time and control and money was a big part of that, that lecture. And that's really what we're talking about here. When oh, we talk yeah. about merging practices, we're talking about the efficiencies of time that we have and being able to be in control of your own destiny. And then the money is going to be a part of it. Either it's going to be financially rewarding or it's going to be, you know, break it. But you're in control of that choice. Yeah, and really how those three work together is really important. So another reason, which is not maybe the traditional merger that we're talking about for the rest of this podcast, but I just want to touch on it because some people would think it's a merger. When you merge, you're not really merging to make a partnership, but you're merging and you're acquiring another practice into yours. I call it like the Pac-Man. You're like eating up one, another local practice. Yeah, I love that. Just talking to a gentleman a few minutes ago, he had an 800 collection practice and he's, he's thinking about bringing an associate in and it just didn't screen the associate. The numbers weren't there. But I asked him, let's look at a 500 collection practice and it was a little too far and it was out of his reach. But the bottom line is these acquisitions are great. And it could be where maybe there's two doctors that are current partners and they got two locations. And maybe those two doctors are the ones that are acquiring and taking that maybe thousand active patient base and dumping it into one or both of those practices. And so I love acquiring those practices because I've been able to see the success of those and those basically People are nervous when they buy those practices, Christy. They're nervous that it's a 500 collections and all the patients are going to go away. But what happens is you typically see those 500 collection practices. You put them into your 800 and all of a sudden, for some odd reason, you're doing one six Mm -hmm. because we're actually doing more dentistry from those patients because a lot of times that doctor is kind of checked out a little bit. Yep. Another example of this, I just thought of this, I was talking to a potential client and she was buying another practice and she wasn't going to merge it into her space. But she was looking into buying that practice because her side of the town was, from a just demographic standpoint, kind of dying. But the other side of town was growing. And so it was kind of a, I don't know if this is the right time to be doing this, but let me buy this other one. I'm going to have two overheads for a period of time. But I'm going to gain this a new exposure. I'm going to mitigate my risk here. And so that's kind of what I'm doing. So it's also can be you buy it and you keep your two spaces, which goes against everything we talked about, you know, about 10 minutes ago. But it's kind of just that tell me why you're doing it and let me tell you if it makes sense. And I understand because, I mean, there's a million ways to do this. I've seen that so many. many, Sometimes you just got to plant your flag on the other side. And sometimes you do that early on. And next thing you know, I can think about an orthodontist in Phoenix that had it practice on the east and west. And it got to a point he was doing a million five in each one. Mm-hmm. And he's, yeah, he's making a one and a half million dollars. He was like, what's the point on the drive? It's killing me. Yeah. I can just sell that practice and come over here and work here for less time and I'm fine. So it's certainly some risk when you're doing that, but just have a business plan about it and it'll work out for you. Absolutely. So traditional merge of what we're talking about is creating this partnership, two people joining together, merging, kind of creating this kind of bigger practice. And clearly the goal there is increased profitability, return, hopefully some flexibility and then growth. There's one factor that I feel like we have to say it and you have to like and love the other person. And we say that in acquisition that you have to like and love where you're going. You have to like and love the other doctor in the practice. This is all still true in this merger situation. You are still creating a partnership. Mm -hmm. You still have to go to work every day and figure out how to work now and play nicely with the practice you've merged with. That's people, that's patients, that's your clinical philosophy. All of it has to work together. And so if you don't see yourself married to that person, then let's not go down this road. Yeah. If you're having issues on your first date with the sheets and it doesn't work out, (laughs) then you got to run. But if it's just (laughs) olives, it's fine. (laughs) We're looking for you to sell us though on how long you've known this person, just the care you have for them, the clinical philosophy, just your families are connected, you go on vacation together. 
there's just such admiration and love there. It's like it's all good. And that really helps us just from a consulting standpoint, knowing that we're going to get you to the finish line. Yeah. And I'm going to do this again. And I feel like in the podcast, this is my role. Um, In marriage, this is not my role. My husband is the more pessimistic one. But I feel like we also have to talk about what gives us pause when we hear two people saying they want to merge. First off, insurance, PPO versus fee-for-service. So have a couple clients who were considering a merger and one was fee-for-service and one is PPO, like strong PPO. Well, if you merge and create one entity, now you are basically poaching your own client base, right? Because now the people that have the option for insurance are now going to have insurance. So that doesn't make sense to us, right? That just the types of patients you're seeing, the structure of insurance, reimbursement rates, one's Medicaid, one's not, like just hard stop. There's maybe some times where it might make sense, but I think it's rare. Yep. You're just not going to leverage a lot of uh, maybe some of the same pieces because maybe we're going to have to market differently. You have to keep separate EINs. So I'm not saying it can't be done. It just it creates maybe some pauses. Yes. And a lot more questions on the Yellow why. flags, red yep. flags. Yeah. And so then, again, if there's no reduction in fixed costs or overhead. So oftentimes that's going to be when you can't merge physically right? So you have to keep one or the other location. And so I think it makes sense to maybe talk about a couple of real estate things here, right? Yeah. And I can think about one right now. It's kind of cool when we do this because I'm not thinking about these when I read all these <laughs> notes, but just automatically just these people come to me. <laughs> <laughs> so I've got two pediatric doctors, I believe, but they have approximately, one has like 18 months left on the lease. Mm-hmm. And so they're just going to go ahead and do the merger now. And then there's going to be two separate locations, but eventually they will move in together. So, well, that's perfect because that's what you want, right? You yep. want to be able to have all your pieces in place, put the sign up that says, hey, patients, we're moving in, you know, June of whatever. Exactly. So it's a plan. Your patients know about it. It seems like the patients have no idea that all this business and operational things have gone on in the background. Yep. One thing you do have to consider, too, if you're looking at two practices, two owners, one owns their building, one leases, right? Well, probably makes sense to go to the person who owns, but what if their space isn't big enough mm-hmm. now, right? Like, what are we going to do with that building, right? We can't just have an empty dental practice. We hopefully aren't going to sell it to someone who's going to do a startup and now have competition with us. So making sure that the timing of if you both lease, what does that look like? If you both own, is one or the other space big enough to absorb the other practice? If not, are we going to move to another location? And so we, now we have to time up our leases. So there's a lot of factors there that you can get into that really matter. And if the point of this merger is to create some streamlined efficiencies, well, then let's make sure that there's a plan for that to happen and we're not leaving ourselves the bigger problem. When that happens, oftentimes there's equipment left, right? Like there's just stuff we don't need at one office or the other. What are we going to do with that? Think about those real estate considerations. Another thing that gives us pause really early on before we waste too much time, dramatically different goals. Oh, yeah. Like one person is driven growth. I want to build this thing and sell it to PE in seven locations. And the other person's like, I just love someone to cover me while I'm on vacation. Right. That was the situation with these two doctors is one had different vision. One wanted to open two, three, four, five practices. Mm -hmm. And so he has that very much entrepreneurial spirit. The other hard driving guy just doesn't want to take on that necessarily risk. It's just not his necessarily focus. And so you got to be able to pull it out and be able to figure out, okay, if so, if me and you are partners, Christy, and you want to go do this other thing, so what are you going to brand? Mm-hmm. Is it going to be the a Loretto Ratcliffe brand over there, but I'm not going to be associated with it? But then with the bank now is going to look at this and who's going to be on the hook for that? 
So there's a lot of questions to ask. Oh, yeah. And we didn't talk about this earlier, but how are we splitting money once we merge, mm-hmm. right? What are we bringing to the table? How are we splitting that? Which we'll talk about in a second that goes through the process. But if your guy who wants to grow and has the entrepreneurial spirit was like, you know what? It's okay that you don't have that. I'm okay doing that. And I'm okay right. growing it. Is he still going to be okay doing that after four or five offices and he's driven all the growth and the other guys just kind of hung out and And had a share? Yeah. And what about if that guy over there, he's taking all his time to go run all these offices and he's got associates that are working in his office, which happen to be working. How long is it going to be before he plucks the associate back into this office? Yeah. Okay. So now all of a sudden, the guy that was thinking he was getting a partner is actually getting a quote unquote employee that he's managing. I mean, I think that having those goals and being realistic and being very transparent and communicating with whomever you're thinking about your merger with, communication, if we haven't talked about it, 30 episodes in communication, communication, communication. And this kind of flows into the same thing, but different clinical styles. Sure. You know, if you want a super high-end boutique practice, the other person has no interest, wants to see all PPO plans, like it's just those things don't mesh. So you kind of have to have the same style, the same methods, one's pinky, one's, you know, whatever. You have to know. Yeah, and you'll see some of these high-end restorative practices where the guy or gal, maybe he's 60, a CD member or something, has been doing this for a long time, and that you bring in the younger guy. You can have almost a little bit two different styles where you're slowly blending over those patients and slowly mentoring that younger doctor right. to a lot of these procedures. But you want to be, like you said, just clear on your communication as far as like how we're going to market, how we're going to brand, and where those patients are going to be going. Yeah, that's a good point. So anything else? Any other like negative, no, negative, no, no, things? No, I'm no, I'm moving on to positive. You're that's moving good. on to positive. <laughs> so I think that another thing we have to consider is the staff. That's mm-hmm. kind of the one thing that we really haven't touched on here is if you are going to merge your offices, there's a chance that you're not going to need all of your staff, right? Assistance and hygiene and all that are probably going to be fine, but do you need four front desks? Mm-hmm. Right. Or do you need, you know, two full time treatment coordinators? Maybe if your days didn't align. Right. Maybe if you're open on different days and you still need that coverage. But it may be an instance where you're going to need to figure out what to do with excess staff. And that's not an easy conversation. Right. Neither of you are going to want to trim down or reduce hours for any of these people that have probably right. been super loyal to you. So just really thinking about that and thinking about the message and how we're communicating. Again, everything's top down. Right. So you want all of those people to feel bought in to this thing you're creating and it's not us against them coming into this new practice in this new endeavor. Yeah. And you typically, you get these kind of floater people. There's always the million dollar practice and it's never like perfect where everyone is just in that one role. Someone's always doing a little bit of this, a little bit of that. And you get that $40 an hour hygienist that ends up helping on the assistant role or the $40 an hour that's now covering some of the phones. And so you got to be able to look at everyone's role. And basically, from an efficiency standpoint, everybody needs to work really, really mm-hmm. hard in that one area. You know, if you buy a franchise, there's a model for every person mm-hmm. in that thing, and it works for a reason. You know, the McDonald's fryer, the McDonald's person's on the Coke machine, this, and they, they stick in that department. They get really good at it, and then they run their operation. For us, I can't necessarily, I know you can't either, Christy, tell these people Mm -hmm. how that's going to work. You've got to tell me what's not going to work, and then we've got to be able to build that in our models if we're keeping these people or not. Yep, absolutely. So another question, let's say we've talked to people, we say, hey, they told us their why, they have a little bit of a plan, and it seems like it's going to work. The next question is like, how do we even start to do this and merge, right? right? First step for us, right, if we get a phone call from someone who's considering this, our first step is determining the goals, right? Mm-hmm. We've talked about this a couple times throughout this episode, but 
what are your goals? And we want to hear it from both people separately, Mm -hmm. separate phone calls. I want to hear it come through the same way. So what about this? So anybody who actually hires NDP, we're going to interview. That's true. If you're a buyer, a valuation person, uh, how much is your valuation? X. Okay. I'm like, I don't know you. Yeah. What's your what expectations? You, you know, what your timing? What, what's your why? I got to figure that out before we even decide that we're going to be a good fit for each other. But it is a lengthy process when we're interviewing the group. Then I got to interview the individual doctors. And just to make sure that those are conversations that are private, but I've got to be able to manage that as a consultant slash therapist. Sometimes I feel like yeah. just listening to people and making sure that we're going to go down this road. And so we've covered a lot of that, that vision, expectations, the timing, the why it's just important. I just mm-hmm. really need for them to sell us mm-hmm. that they really want to do this. They know that they may take a step back, that mm-hmm. they're showing humility to this process. You know, I got a great opportunity this and bringing him in is just going to be so great because of this, and we're going to be able to grow this together, and I need this and that. And you're just like, you see the excitement, and you see that flexibility, and just basically do whatever it takes attitude. I get sold on it. They're, you know, their excitement is making me believe that this is going to work. They're going to put the energy into it. Yep, absolutely. So then once we know it's going to work, the second thing we need to do is figure out how much are your practices worth and yep. how much are you going to be part of this partnership? Are we 50-50? Are we 60-40? And it's not always just based on collection size, right? A $2 million and $1 million doesn't necessarily mean, right? It's what if they're both $1 million practices, but one has a 40% overhead and one has a 60% overhead. So now we're bringing two different profit pieces into this and merging that. And the hope is that that 60% overhead by utilizing the 40% overhead processes gets down, but that'd be a tough sell. We're going to come in 50, 50, but I'm putting 20% more profit into the pool based on what I'm doing. So I think that is a big understanding and expectations of like, what is each practice worth? And what does that mean as far as my ownership? So on that, it it goes back to like, listen to their goals, listen to their expectations. Mm -hmm. So one of the things by that second and third, fourth phone call, sometimes no one has paid us a dime. We've actually asked for the financials and we can see that 60 and 40% overhead. We've already set this up to say, hey, if you got brand new ADIC equipment and if you've got a 40% overhead, your business is going to value significantly higher. And if you're doing the same number of collections, just because we take a million, a million and make it a two million, doesn't mean that the 60% might not write a check to the 40% guy because of the cash flow. And if we're not all on the same page there, mm-hmm. then there's no sense even starting because yep. the benefit of this is what? And you know, we're going to leverage this. Okay, great, great. Yeah, absolutely. So if we can do a value and if we can understand our price and we can understand what percentage, then the next step, at least in our process, is to also then show them what their practices look like together. Yes. Right. Make sure that what we think is going to happen is really going to happen. You're going to move into Joe's space. Okay. well, then Joe's space. Here's his overhead. Here's what we're not going to have his expenses anymore, but we're going to have increased insurance or we're going to have increased accounting or we're going to have increased marketing or Whatever those costs are going to be, let's lay the financials on top of each other, figure out what that profitability is, and then figure out how we're going to split that money, right? Like, what is our partnership split going to be? Are we going to pay each other? We're orthos, and we're going to get a per day fee, and then we're going to split the rest. Are we each going to get a percentage of our production? What does that look like? So I love when you do that modeling. A lot of times you'll do projections, and you'll think about maybe the associate coming in, and Mm -hmm. this is what we're essentially doing. We're taking two businesses and layer on top. And then typically they want to see, okay, what if we grew this and what, you know, everyone wants to see a little bit of growth. And then they want to see that profitability that they're getting now under that lower fixed cost and maybe more efficiencies Mm -hmm. with that same team of direct cost. And you get so many compliments after this is all done and they're like, 
I mean, it's like pretty much exactly like Christy said, you know, and they're just always so happy with that. And so you do a really good job there. But to us, we got to see it too. Like, why are we going to do this? Like if we're modeling this out and it doesn't make financial sense for the parties, how can we push these people to formalize We've legal said no. agreements? Yeah. And there are times when the cash flows are tight, but because of the person's personal living situation or their savings or their financial goals, they're okay that it's tight, right, for a period of time and they're doing that for other reasons. I mean, there have been times where we've been like, this just doesn't work. Like, yep. you can't do this. And I think that that's part of the process. And some people might look at that and be like, oh, well, now we've wasted all this time. But to me, I'm like, you've saved so much. Because what if you didn't invest the time or efforts to kind of go through this process and just did it? That would have been catastrophic for you. Definitely. So, I mean, I think that there's value in understanding that and being educated about what to expect so you can prepare and just know how to move forward. So then we know it financially works. Now we have to say, how are we going to do this, right? Structurally, Mm -hmm. one entity, two entities, are we creating a new entity and we're both keeping our existing entity Clearly for a partnership, we have our own preference for that. We guide our clients on how to do that, but we need to know how that's going to work. And then operationally, how are we actually going to logistically put these practices together? Are Mm -hmm. we using your practice management software or mine? Who's doing our accounting? Who's doing our tax or which insurance company are we using? Payroll. I mean, all of those things, if you think about what makes your practice tick, All of those things now have to make your merged practice tick. And so those are really important things to think about and make sure you understand and you put a plan together that allows you to do it, right? A merge is oftentimes not something we're going to be able to complete in 30 to 45 days. Like it's just too complicated. There's too many moving pieces and you want it to be smooth from a transition point for your patients. There's just hundreds and hundreds of questions that people have on these deals and, and you get into we talked about the something as simple as just you use this credit card merchant service, I use this one. I mean, those are simple fixes, but the tough stuff is the investment to even go down this road. We're finishing stuff out. We're signing maybe a million dollar loan you know, for a building or a million dollar in lease payments for two of these uh, $1 million practices to come together. We got to think about, hey, you're placing implants and I'm not. Hey, you're pulling thirds and I'm not. You've got two assistants and I've got three assistants. Mine are at 16, yours are at 22. We've got to think about conceptually how this is going to work, how we're going to split the money, how we're going to deal with death, disability, disagreement. We've got to think about if you own the real estate and we're merging, how's that going to work with me in there? Am I buying into the real estate? Because I don't want you to overcharge for me for the next 10 years on the real estate. And just because we saved a little bit here or there, I want to build equity kind of the thing like what you're doing as well. So There are so many, many pieces that just need to get ironed out before you do it. Do I believe in them? Absolutely. Other accountants and other lawyers do as well. You'll see these large, large practices of of accountants and attorneys. They've just been able to figure it out, and they're the ones that are smart enough to figure out how to leverage these fixed costs. I think private equity, I think corporate has figured it out. They build Mm -hmm. these big facilities, and you can be really, really profitable under one roof. And so... That part really excites me. The other side benefits of working together and the the sharing and mentoring kind of back and forth and sharing some of the responsibilities of running a business like Mm -hmm. that, sure, those are all added values as well. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So hopefully you can see that mergers can be a big asset to the right two practices, but it's clearly not all rosy. So it takes some planning and operationally, clinically, making sure you're merging for the right reasons. And as I hope you know from listening to Transition Talk is that there's no box for ownership or box for transitions. And there's a unique plan for everyone. The key is ensuring you've thought about all the pieces and how they work together. So there's a solution. And hopefully we gave you some good points to mull over 
if you think a merger might be in your future. That's it for today. Only you can make a merger episode fantastic, Christy. <laughs> Thanks, Charles. <laughs> Remember, subscribe to Transition Talk on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and Spotify. And as always, likes on Facebook and LinkedIn. Have a great week. Till next time.